All right, my friend, I uh, I kind of cheated on you again. I went off solo and did, did another interview without you. But, you know, I have to take these opportunities, man. I'm over here. I'm in the heart of whiskey making. Uh, when when these things come up, I, I, I saw the opportunity and I went for it. And, you know. This one's in London, you prick. I'm sorry. I was down in London recently and I, I had the opportunity to, sit, to, to go around to Berry Brothers and Rudd and chat to my good friend Joe Whitaker, who is the global ambassador for this amazing brand. We got a look, uh, I've been around there before, but I got a full on in-depth tour of the place, which is amazing. And Nicholas, I know you've got history with this brand, with, with Berry's, right? You used to work with, with them for a little bit. I do, yeah. They actually came to me in 2013 and 14. Um, they actually were the, the company that put me forward to be keepered so Berry Brothers and Anchor Distilling Company mm. who are their US subsidiary yeah because Berry Brothers had hired me in about 2014 uh, but by 2013 I was just doing a load of stuff like within the Scotch whiskey world out here in the States and you know I worked with every brand out here at the time and Berries were just brilliant like one they've got an amazing private collection of their own independent bottling casks and things like that as well they've got at the time, they were the owners of Glenrothes, which they've now sold back to Edrington Group. Um, and they've just got, I think they're just one of these companies that's just so, that they're a joy to do business with. Like they're, a, they're, they're, you know, you could do a handshake deal with them and they'll see it through. And I think that's, that's the thing I really always admire about companies like that. They're old school in their ways, but they're not old school and they're not stuck in their ways, right? They're, they, the, the, you know, they, they conduct themselves in a very high standard. And you see this, like, and you get this actually in the interview, you know, Joe's, Joe's I've listened to this interview actually a couple of times now and I was laughing and it's just brilliant, really engaging, great stories. They, they've got a, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to storytelling and some of the things that their business has been through. You know, you walk their cellars, you see some of these private collections from Napoleon's cognacs to... Yeah. Winston Churchill's whiskies and brandies and things like that. Like they've still got that there cellared in some of their, their under their, their pathways and all the pathways that lead off to different roads right into Buckingham Palace and all these other things. Super cool. Like it's like it's, oh, just, it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think you know if anyone ever gets a chance to to visit it, I highly recommend it. And and when you go into the original offices, and you'll have obviously been there, Nicholas. But one of the cool things that Joe told me that isn't on the the actual interview that the um the building just next door got completely annihilated during the blitz the massive bomb got dropped on it and they they believe that their building literally raised up about 10 feet and then dropped down on the ground again so when you walk in the office the floor it's the original floor we're talking from 1698 and it's all kind of wobbly because of the war and because of that bomb that hit and literally <laughs> nothing has been done there it's so cool i mean it's it's like yeah. It's like a museum, but in a really, really cool yeah, way, like a, you know? That's a great uh, description. It's like a museum. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's get into the interview. Let's hear what Joe had to say about it all. Welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for it. Long-term listener, first-time caller. <laughs> first-time caller. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, so, Joe, I, I think you've got a very similar background to me in that you started off in hospitality for 14, 15 yeah. years. Uh, and then came to work for Berry Brothers and Rods. You moved into the sales side of things, and now 
global ambassador, man. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a bit of a been a bit of a whirlwind for four and a half years. Yeah, yeah so fourteen years. Um, I think uh, when I was eighteen years old, I watched the Tom Cruise film Cocktail. Yeah. I thought, well, that seems like a good life. Uh, after fourteen years of working in almost every style of bar that you can possibly uh, possibly name cocktail sports stadium hotel uh, I ran a backpacker bar at one point in New Zealand um, decided that I was uh, I was time to move on from the bar trade and uh, after 14 years I think I knew only one thing and that was spirits so uh, so I came and worked as a salesperson for Bear Brothers and Rudd um, and then yeah and then sort of four years into that, I think they were bored of my uh, my lack of ability with Excel um, and I became Global Brand Ambassador, <laughs> um, which is, you know, still still sinking in nine months down the line. I think this is quite an obvious answer, but do you prefer the sales side of things or being an ambassador? <laughs> very much the uh, very much the ambassador side. I'm very, very British when it comes to asking about money. Oh, um, so, <laughs> so it was never a do, strong you know, point. That's, that's the thing that I noticed as being an ambassador was... Um, I'm so glad that I never had to do any sales shit because mm. I'm the same as you. Just couldn't close. Yeah, you know, and I never wanted to close. I think that's that's the good thing when you're an ambassador. And I always kind of say this: like, you need to be just passionate about the brands and talking mm. about the brands because you can't be doing that and then say, oh, by the way, do you want? Five cases. Yeah. Put it, down, you know? <laughs> it just takes the shine off it. You know I, mean? yeah, I think I think most of my sales, and I don't think I'll be scared to say this, were probably more ambassadorial. Oh yeah, we love this brand, and we'll buy it in rather than you know, um, you know, some someone may listen to this and disagree, but yeah, I definitely was never a, a closer. I actually, got put onto a course about negotiation, and I think I was the only person to fail that course. <laughs> um, they did a test at the end where they were sort of you had to pretend to be a sort of a car salesman, and apparently everyone that does it because of everything you've learned, uh, managed to sell the car and I didn't and I didn't realise that that was I sort of just kind of okay well fair enough you, yeah, yeah. you don't want this car thank you very much and they were like that, that's that's not the point <laughs> so then you're like ah ambassador life yeah, for me yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think this works <laughs> so how how has that transition been I mean I know you've been doing a load of travel and kind of going all over the world so how is it what is it 18 months in the uh, no, so eight, nine, nine months nine uh, months uh, almost nine months now yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not even not even nine so um it's been been incredible um it really has uh it's it's like sort of hit me really quickly the first month was a bit like oh this is a really cool job title uh what what am i doing um yeah <laughs> and now um sort of the uh sort of october november december were were really full on uh went to went to paris to whiskey live for the first time and launched in france our pioneers our sustainability launch um worked with uh ryan chetty mr lion um on that as well went to uh taiwan and china for a for a two-week stint and uh represented and told the stories of berries out there it's been it's it's it's, I sometimes have to pinch myself uh, sometimes about how quickly it's exploded, but it's been really good fun. No, it's amazing. And, and, you know, I think the amazing thing about your role must be, and amazing, but also probably pretty tricky, your knowledge on whiskey must be so vast in that you need to know about so many different distilleries, right? Yeah. Um, so it is one of those ones that I think, especially working for a company like Berries, is that when you talk about a distillery, people ask you questions mm-hmm. like um, like you're actually part of that brand, yeah. part of that distillery, um, which is a challenge I absolutely love um, because you have to just really research and dig into and actually get under the skin of 
every distillery that we work with um and sort of every time i seem to get hold of a release we release another one and i have to sort of relearn um but it's uh it makes it really interesting and it means that i never work on the same script so i always mm. thinking which is which is really quite for me is the thing that channel which excited me the most about this role um especially for this company mate you'd be good on a whiskey quiz i i i'm quizzes are my strong point i have useless knowledge um on most (laughs) things that you can only be good at is if you're an ambassador or if you do (laughs) on a pub quiz so let's uh let's find out one day So I want to talk, you mentioned the the Pioneers range and the sustainability aspect. I'm going to come back to that, but I I want to talk about the history of berries first first off, because we're sitting here right now in the merchant's room, which I think you said dates back to the 1700s. Yeah, so about Um, 1720. So this, um, uh, the parlour is uh, the old manager's office. So if you you know anything about our history, and we'll get into that, uh, if you can name anything, um, it's probably been decided in this room. Um, the uh, the sort of the creation of Cutty Sark, the blended whiskey, 101 years ago, um, to the sort of creation to of number three, to um, purchasing Glenrothes as a brand, um, and then the selling of it back to Edrington have all happened at this table in this room. Um, so it's always a bit of an honour. And I, you know, after five years, I still never sort of think any less of this room it's still quite impressive to walk into i mean they're all really impressed impressive stats and impressive sort of things to say but you know they've never had the podcast recording here before so that's another thing i mean i mean yeah it's going to go down go down in the hills of history we'll add it (laughs) on to the tour (laughs) now but you just took me for a tour around um the the site here and it's just insane i mean it literally is like a time capsule uh, you know, in in a really good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like walking about, you can feel the history. It hasn't changed essentially since the 1700s, right? I mean, you, you gave some fascinating history on this. So let's run through this really quickly, starting with this place beginning as a as, as a coffee merchant. Yeah. So um, we opened our doors. Um, uh, our founding our founding opener was a lady called the Widow Bourne. Um, a woman that we don't really know much about. Um, any records were, were sort of lost or destroyed. Um, but 1698, the Widowborn opened our doors, um, three doors down from St. James's Palace, uh, which on that same year became the, uh, the sort of the, the court of St. James, which is the official home of the royal family even today. Um, so even though Buckingham Palace is a beautiful building, it is essentially just a big home um, where sort of all the main decisions uh, happen in uh, the court of St. James. Um, and back then was probably the centre of the, uh, the, the sort of the, the, known, the known universe, really. Um, and with that comes all of the... Uh, all of the gentlemen of the court who want to sort of lobby and gain favour with the king. Um, so we opened up our doors as a coffee merchant because we, it wasn't good to be seen to drink alcohol back then, mm. especially as a gentleman. Um, coffee was the drink of the day and St. James's and Mayfair area had, um, they believe, 122 coffee shops at the height. Um, so, 
instead of opening 123, uh, the widow born very cleverly became a merchant um, and started wholesaling coffees to the uh, coffee houses, which have grown into the gentlemen's clubs of of, of uh, like Pow Mall, like the um, original Starbucks. The, essentially, yeah, yeah, right? essentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I don't think Starbucks, even Starbucks, have got up to that domination of uh, <laughs> of, of amount of in London yet. Um, so yeah, so we, we opened up our doors uh, there. Um, and then during time with change of family members, uh, the names change, the offerings change. Um, and then um, in 1803, uh, a young boy uh, called George Berry uh, get, gets put onto a train from Exton, comes up to find a business with his name written on the door, um, Berry's. Um, and he turns us into a only wine and spirit merchants. Um, and... 200 and 201 years later we uh we are still going as as a wine and spirit merchants uh with the berry's name still on top of the door so we're not we're not changing that anytime soon yeah, yeah. no that's fascinating and i love the the story you know you get i always say every day is a school day right and, and you told me some stuff today that i didn't know the glass blowing story or mm. or fact w- was fascinating can you can you Tell our listeners about that. Yeah. So until uh, until about eighteen sixty two, um, you never bought you never bought a bottle of wine, a bottle of whiskey. Um, you had to bring your own bottle, um, and glass bottles were sort of you know were seen to be the height of society. But also with a glass bottle, it meant the government could start paying like charging duty start taxing alcohol for the first time properly uh, rather than any other way of charging malt or you know whatever other ways they worked out that they could just standardize it um, and an exercise man um, from from the tax office went around London glass blowers and got them to blow a glass bottle um, from every single one and took them all back to his office and uh, measured them out um, and they were all meant to be uh, the, a glass bottle was a one lungful of a glass blower um, and he measured them all out and made an average and the average was 700, uh, 700 millilitres um, of, of capacity and that was their standard size um, and that is why to this day uh, we serve whiskey um, in 700 mil and why until about the 70s wine was served in 700 mil um, and you know and we still have these bottles around the ones that he probably some of the ones he may have measured on to kind of get that standard measure love that story yeah. I'm, st- I'm stealing that one I'm yeah well, for sure please, I'm stealing please that do <laughs> so let's chat about Bay Brothers starting within the whiskey industry um, you showed me an amazing bottle that you guys have in your archives here when when did that relationship start up have you guys got records of the first sort of conversations transactions that you had with a, with a Scottish distillery uh, sadly not um, so when it came to spirits we started importing cognac um, that would have been around, we believe, um, about 1770, 1780, I, I, I am led to believe. Um, and whiskey would have come in. Uh, the bottle that I showed you uh, was a, a blended scotch uh, malt uh, that was uh, believed to be distilled in 1858 um, and bottled 10 years after that. Um, but the problem is that we think we started bottling in about 1800s. We think we've been doing this for just over 200 years. Uh, the problem is we can't claim that because any records that we had were kept in our archives, 
which were kept in our roof. And during the Second World War, during the Blitz, our roof set on fire and we have lost all of our records before that. Um, so, yeah, we could have been doing it for 200 years. Uh, that is our oldest uh, relation. Uh, that's our oldest bottle. Um, so that's 1858. So we've definitely been doing it for that long. But however long we've been doing it before then, we, we can't prove. Um, even though I have been trying for five years to try and... <laughs> Try and get the claim, but there are there is a an independent bottle that does claim it before us because they've got proof. And it's fascinating because uh, you know talking about we, we've chatted about this on the show before, but independent bottlers right now find it a little bit harder to 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 buy casks to source liquid. I'm assuming with you guys the relationships you have, you know, that date back centuries almost. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You must be in a good place right now to, to source liquid. Yeah, so we um, we are very lucky that we have got some very strong historic relationships. Um, uh, we have been working with Edrington since they were the Highland Distilling Company. Um, we also, as a business, we predate any legal distillery in Scotland. So uh, it does mean that we can, you know, form relationships. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that we are really focusing on um, and our our whiskey buyer, a guy called uh, Felix Deer, um, is really focusing on, you know, also looking at those new distilleries, not just those historic mm. relationships, but also, you know, trying to find new liquids and sort of new exciting distilleries to talk about. So, um, yeah, we are, there are definitely challenges like everyone else in there, but we are lucky enough touchwood in a good place at the moment and as a global ambassador how involved are you in that whole sort of selection of, of liquid looking at that are you getting samples sent to you quite regularly or is that is that part of your remit um so i'm beginning to beginning to do sort of help out with car selection um you know as sort of sort of especially with certain sort of releases where um i i i talk about them a lot more uh, i'm definitely kind of getting involved in sort of guiding um but i am nowhere near pretending to be the expert that people like uh, felix uh, like our like his predecessor johnny mcmillan doug MacGyver have been they are they are the noses and sort of the palates of this company i'm just there to sort of put my opinion in um but it goes down to them um really they're the experts they're the heroes <laughs> I remember meeting Doug once back in my Diageo days and we, we came in here and uh, I was with, a, again, a, a legend within the industry, a gentleman called Roger Mallandine. And, uh, you know, we, the two of them are chatting and I'm this young boy just starting up and Doug turns to, to Roger. It's like, you know, it's not back in the day. Back in the day, we used to go to the pub and have a meeting. <laughs> and uh, Roger's like, well, let's just go to the pub then. Come on, Doug. So I'm just, you know. Fly on the wall kind of thing. <laughs> listen to these two guys chat and just amazing stories that Doug has. You know, yeah. absolutely. I mean, how long's he been in the industry? Now? Uh, Doug was in the industry. He, uh, hang on, let me remember his CV now. Um, I think he started in Milroy's in about 1990, maybe a little bit before that. Um, he joined us in 2000. Um, it took him nine months to find out that we had a huge selection of casks. Um, that he got his hands on and started bottling, um, giving a new wave of independent, us as an independent bottler. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he was in the industry for, for 35 years. Um, uh, yeah, before yeah, yeah. sort of step, stepping away as he has now to take a break. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. Joe, let's get on to the Pioneers series that you guys launched last year. Yep. And it came out. Tell us a little bit behind the whole idea, uh, the concept behind that. So last uh, October... 
uh, we released the collective number one, our pioneers. The idea of the collective is that we've had a look and we believe that we are at heart storytellers. Uh, as brand ambassadors, as merchants, um, we are we take people's stories and we tell their stories through the liquid that we bottle. And what we want to do is with the collective is we wanted to bring like-minded producers together um, and tell their stories um, because one voice is better than many. Um, and that first that first project that we did was the the pioneers. We looked at uh, distilleries that are championing sustainability. Um, really trying to sort of push uh, push the boundaries of how to make this sort of this brilliant spirit whiskey uh, as well as a cognac um, bring it into sort of the future and how it can be sustainable and yet delicious but further than that how those uh, innovations they've done have actually changed flavors and really sort of driven sort of new flavors and interesting flavors um and these were these are our pioneers which we've i've been championing since uh, october so. fantastic and uh, uh, we've got one sitting right in front of us right now which is a, a westland uh, obviously from seattle good brand that yeah some good juice great uh, have you got like okay so question for you out the whole range you're allowed to take one to a desert island which ones are going to be oh I uh, I'm just gonna have to go put my money where my mouth is, really, isn't it? Uh, the one that I bought was the Oxford, the Oxford Artisanal. Mm. Um, I bought it um, because just what they're doing with uh, their rejuvenative rejuvenative farming, uh, their sort of their flavour profile, how different it was for any rye I've ever tried, uh, was was incredible. Um, that or I'm going to caveat this, or maybe the cognac, the Jean-Luc Pasquet. Um, I know, probably should give, be giving you a whiskey answer, but that Jean-Luc Pasquet, the organic um, single estate uh, cognac, um, which I believe is sort of the only cognac I've tried that really champions what the original terroir of, um, of, of cognac should be because it's four or five years old and it is so complex and beautiful and juicy. Um, yeah. mix with them but I'm going to just put my money where my mouth is and it was the uh, it's the Oxford that I bought for my own personal collection fantastic I, I love this whole concept of shining a light on these new kind of you know whiskey makers that are out there and the way you guys have done this everything's cast strength everything's uh, unchill filtered obviously no colouring uh, really kind of raw if you like and that's I think that's a, I'm right in saying with Berry Bros with, with all your, your bottlings they're pretty much unchill filtered yeah. Mostly at cast strength, all at yeah. cast strength? Uh, except for, we do have a thing called the classic range. Uh, well, the classic range and the small batch, um, which is our, a small part of our sort of, you know, our sort of entry into our range. But the main thing that we focus on is the, um, the, yeah, the single cask, cast strength. Uh, what we do as a bottler is we try and find really interesting, unique liquids um, because we want to we want to offer something a bit different. We want to sort of shine the light on the 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 bigger name distilleries, but show a different offering, or maybe sort of go out there and find something from a, like a lesser known distillery, either a a power a workhorse of a blending distillery or a new distillery that's finding its feet. And we believe that the best way to sort of show the DNA, the character of these distilleries is through car strength. Hmm. Because 
there is it, it's the rawest form you sort of start bringing it down you start chill filtering it it is going to change that liquid sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse but we think that that single cask really shows the sort of the character of the distillery but also what the time and that wood has done um to that to that product so on that point you must have some quite let's call it bizarre liquid right have you got a bottle that, you know, you find a whiskey geek, which I'm sure you do all the time when you go on your travels, and you're like, right, I've got this. I'm going to pour them this and just blow their mind with it. Yeah, which, yeah. What is um, that? So the one that probably came comes to mind, the straight thing, was part of our pioneers, and it's from a Tasmanian distillery called Belgrove. Belgrove is um, a, it mainly does rye. Um, it is a man called Peter Bignall who is a world champion sand builder and farmer who 15 years ago decided to start a distillery and the whiskey that we got from him was a uh, rye whiskey aged in um, Australian Pinot Noir and for some reason um, a fault or a strange design from his handmade stills uh, it tastes like peanut butter huh. Peanut butter, a little bit of banana, some florality behind there, but it's mainly like peanut butter or like monkey nuts, sort of raw nuts. And it is mind-blowing. It's so different, so interesting and complex that like the most fervent people that think, oh no, whiskey has to be this age or, you know, rye whiskey has to be this style, looking at those sort of classic American styles are blown away by it. And it's so interesting. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of those ones that I hope we do more with. I don't know what I'm more confused about, a whiskey that tastes like peanut butter or a world champion sand builder. What the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> have you ever seen on, um, you like, may have seen on like the internet where you get these massive 20 foot, like uh, sand castles. Okay, gotcha, okay. And okay. he, like, the only, from what I understand, the only reason why he leaves his farm is to go around the world and build these sand castles. He is a man of, he's a hilarious. I, I have been describing him, a, a niche reference, as sort of, you know, um, uh, Cracks Pots from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the mad inventor <laughs> um, who just, you know, in sort of tinkering away. Uh, builds these amazing things like he has a pot still a column still all which he's made out of um like reclaimed bits and he's just built it himself um the way he molts his he sometimes molts his own grain or if he molts them he molts it himself and he's got two industrial tumble dryers which he's just converted into uh into his like molting drums uh this guy is He's incredible, and one day I'm hoping to get out there and actually visit him because, you know, I am going to full fanboy him. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, Tazzy's amazing right now. I think there's, yeah. you know, something like 30-odd distilleries. Or not, actually, I think it's more, right? Yeah, I think so. I like think 80 or something? Oh, yeah, it's growing. I, I've, I've, I've lost count, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on that point of world whiskies, um, what's the country that's exciting you most right now making whiskey? Obviously, aside from Scotland. Oh, I'm, well, I'm a little bit biased. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what country... Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a region rather than a, but some of the stuff coming out of the Nordics is fascinating. I think they're doing some amazing stuff out there. Um, I'm get excited about everything they release. Um, I think I've seen some Australian whiskies which are 
which are really sort of showing a different light. Um, and then with the with the bottle of Westland mm. in front of me, um, I think especially some of those in the uh, the upper northwest are doing some some incredible things with single malt Westland Westwood. Um, so yeah, so there's quite a lot out there. But so yeah. basically, that's a politician's answer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just to say the, the, the whole world there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Put it out there. yeah. So let's let's talk about the sustainability piece that's going on with with berries right now. Um, you know, you mentioned this earlier on. What, what's what's the plan there? What's happening there? Um, so yeah, so um, as a as a family run business, uh, sustainability is at the heart of what we do, what we want to do, looking into the future. Um, and so we wanted to sort of shine a light and we are looking at how we can buy more and more sort of liquid from sustainable distilleries um and that's just you know championing that and also just you know guiding sort of people that there are sort of different ways and methods and actually what they're doing out there because a small distillery um like um a smaller distillery like uh, the the Agatata from uh, that was in our pioneers, I have not got the mouthpiece that we have, so we're just shining the light on them and hopefully, you know, trying to think about tomorrow because we spend a lot of time talking about the past in this building, um, and mm. you know, the tomorrow is a lot more as is as important as our as our history. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's what we're trying to do. So then yourself, what are you doing when you're not uh, drinking whiskey? Uh, well, it's uh, Six Nations at the moment. Um, so I will be watching, talking, listening, reading everything rugby um, every weekend. Um, I am a big mountain climber. Um, love love walking. A couple of years ago, did the uh, the famous West Highland Way nice. um, in five days uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah sort of was planning on starting and finishing at a distillery because you uh, start by walking past Glengloin and you finish at the uh, at sort of Ben Nevis but uh, it was half past seven when we passed Glengloin and I don't think I didn't want to drink whiskey and then do 22 miles that day so uh, <laughs> so gave that one a miss and just had a had a dram when we got to a whiskey bar in uh, Fort Williams um, yeah and just you know so Six Nations man I mean when we record this we've only, we're only one game in right now <laughs> Uh, England, me. I, I was gonna say you guys did okay against it, Labour. That was pretty close. But you know, I, I'm, I'm. It's like that saying: you don't throw stones if you live in a, a yeah, in a glass yeah. house. Because Scotland, yeah. <laughs> we nearly lost it against Wales. I, I for me, it was like that game. I, I felt we kind of lost it, even yeah. though we won it. Yeah, because uh, we kind of threw away the second half. You, 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 you did. I think you forgot to. Uh, I think I think uh, Finn Russell was already in his Lamborghini. He's drinking champagne um, <laughs> before before half time. I, I thought that was going to be a whitewash. Yeah, um, it think... was nail biting at the end. Um, you know, and you definitely had the Welsh definitely had the sixteenth man of the Cardiff crowd behind them. But uh, you held on. You know. England predictions? What do you think? England predictions? Oh, Grand Slam winners. (laughs) He says, not believing that at all. (laughs) I think the Irish might have something to say about that. It's fine. They can they can do that. How did how did they do in the World Cup? They dropped out before us, didn't they? Quarterfinals. (laughs) Fight and talk right there. Uh, So, Joe, we always like to uh, do a little plug for you know to help you guys coming on. Not the need much help since, <laughs> since the 17th century uh, but if people want to f- find out about Berry Brothers and Rod what's the best place for, for them to go uh, so if you we've got our website bbr.com um, you, we are in I think our bottles are in uh, most um, kind of good independent retailers um, and, and the ones that we're not in 
fingers crossed we will uh, we'll be in soon um, but yeah come on to BBR come on to uh, uh, Barry Brothers and Rudd Spirits on our Instagram um, or check me out on the Joe Whittaker on Instagram as well and, you follow know. your travels around the world yeah try, try to <laughs> brilliant well Joe it's been a pleasure chatting with you thank you so much for inviting me down as well and showing me around here it's just been absolutely fascinating man you're welcome thank you for coming down it's been great to show you around <laughs> So there you go, guys. That's I mean, Mitch, again, it pains me to say, I think you did a stand-up job of interviewing uh, Solo. Doesn't, you know, like I said, I'm hoping that all the, the, the prizes that we will win for this podcast will be both of us, but I'm not sure. It might just be you up in the in the, the podium <laughs> collecting nah, awards. I'll, I'll, I'll put you up there with me. I'll put you up there with me. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll be your plus one. I'll put you like along that. like I always do. <laughs> here's, here's my pal hold my bags who's that guy that's a cameraman just hold my bags <laughs> just hold the award for a second will you there you go there you go no, 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 the- but that was dude that was a lot of fun like really cool going down and seeing that hanging out with Joe yeah. as well um, you know and, and Joe thanks for your time man I really appreciate it uh, great to see your office down there and, and, and looking forward to we need to get some some more liquid on here. We need to get him to to post some liquid over yeah. to you and, and get him back on and actually do a liquid Bay Brothers episode. Talk about actually, those pioneers. It's that funny. How, this is a true story. So actually, one of one of one of the one of the absolute gentlemen that work for for Berry Brothers, and it's still Lizzie Rudd, the the, the the CEO of their business. So she, you know, female at the helm, championing that entire company. She's a rock star. But Johnny Roberts is the guy that's now heading up some of the spirits division, and he's like the the president of spirits, and he is genius he's a lovely guy lovely wife lovely family i got to spend some time with him in scotland and uh when when i was over for, for keepers of the quake as, as well as some other time in london when i was down there with the team and he's just one of these guys that's got so many great stories to tell but specifically so you, you couldn't pick a more he's very british like he's very debonair very gentlemanly like just a very just a british gentleman and he speaks fluent uh, mandarin because he spent time in Asia. So there's like a conversation that we had where I think he was in a, a restaurant and then the staff in the restaurant were talking about him behind his back. <laughs> and, and it just made the assumption that he couldn't speak the language and he just turned around and ripped right through them in fluent Mandarin. And it's really funny when you hear him drop into it because he's just very, oh, yeah, it's wonderful old chap and blah, blah, blah. Just an g- absolute gent, right? Like a really, really lovely guy. And then he can just drop right into fluent man <laughs> so it's like yeah yeah don't he's a, a good guy to go out for, for if you want to eat chinese food <laughs> really all right guys well that's it for us hopefully you've enjoyed that episode and we'll catch you next time around bye